You're listening to Simply Stogies, a podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back, relax, while James brings you along on his cigar journey. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, sit down with guests from across the industry, and we'll probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Welcome to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. This is it. We've come to the end of the road, so to speak, uh, when it comes to Cuban cigars. This is the Cuban sub-series finale. And joining me, as he does for every Cuban sub-series episodes, uh, it's my friend. Uh, it is... Uh, Probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met when it comes to the oh, industry, please. the expert in Cuban cigars. Uh, it's Nicholas Cirrus, LH Cigars. Nick, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much, James. Always a pleasure to be back with you. And it's sad that it's our last episode, but I think we've kind of covered all the bases. You know, we've done 12 of these or so, and we talked about Cuba, Cuban cigars. And uh, since I'm still kind of going to be around, we can continue in the future to at least touch this topic. Absolutely. Just because this is the end of the road for the Cuban sub series for uh, the year of our Lord 2022 does not mean that this is the last time uh, we will ever be discussing Cuban cigars. Uh, and part of the reason why this is, will not be the last time we'll be discussing Cuban cigars is well, if you listened to the last episode uh, that featured my friend here, Nick Sears, you realize that uh, we unofficially officially announced that Nick Sears is now part of Simply Stogie's podcast beginning in February of 2023. Uh, Nick will be a full-time podcaster. Welcome to Simply Stogie's, Nick. And let me apologize beforehand. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm happy and proud to be part of the Simply Stogie's team. I've always loved being on the radio. That was kind of my thing. I've People that have followed me from the Smooth Draws days know that I, uh, you know, it was actually my major in college. I was a big radio guy. So uh, there's my blood does pull towards this field as well. So I get to dabble in it and talk about my passion. It's all good. Love it. Yeah, we're we're very happy and pleased to have Nick on board as part of the team. Nick brings obviously a wealth of knowledge, just not about cigars and not just about Cuban cigars. But like he said, he, he was part of Smooth Draws uh, radio show for a number of years uh, and helped make that what it was. Um, so, you know, if you're familiar with Smooth Draws, you obviously have Nick Coop. I mean, it it, it, it was one of the, if not the uh, leading authority on uh, cigars in radio or broadcasting uh, for a number of years. So we are, again, very pleased, very blessed to have Nick and, and um his wealth of knowledge, uh, you know, added to our uh, collective here because the rest of us uh, honestly just kind of wing it most of the time. So we're, uh, we're very happy. To we, have all, we all wing it. James, come on. <laughs> uh, very happy to have uh, Nick uh, on board. That'll be coming February 2023. Uh, also, February 2023, we're starting. Um, that's the plan is to start a uh, video. So the, all of our, um, all of these podcasts you'll be able to find on awesome YouTube. We're hoping as long as I don't take it down and for sure on our rumble channel, uh, February, 2023, February 1st, look forward to that. 
Uh, we are still working on the studio downstairs. Uh, I'm going to make a couple of phone calls today to see if I can't get this squared away a little bit quicker than what it is. We're way behind schedule. So we're going to uh, we're going to do what we can to get that done. But as of right now, February 1st, 2023 is the plan to have the first episode. Um, that's going to be video. So you can look at um, my ugly mug and, and, and Nick's beautiful face while we uh, while we discuss uh, I think it's a great, that's a great thing. I think as the trends have been going, James, you know, that even with the smooth draws, I was a big proponent of moving it to video because so many other shows have gone to video and we're in a video society. Everything is about FaceTime and video and as great as it is being in your car, listening to a podcast and I do it, we all do it. Sometimes you stay longer when there is something that takes more of your senses. And when you're seeing somebody, you stay on longer, whether it's an ugly face like mine or yours or whatever, or, or whatever. It, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I don't disagree with you. I just hate, video and all of the things that go along with it. But I am excited to have the studio downstairs done uh, and, and, and able to, you know, talk to you and talk to our guests uh, via Zoom uh, and have everything there on video. So uh, the lovely folks at home can can see it. And speaking of the lovely folks at home, look, I don't do this a lot. I really don't. Normally, I'm just like, hey, we've got coffee. Go to the website. Click at the link at the top. Uh, and, and you can get a, a bag of Simply Stogie's coffee. It's great coffee. It's a fantastic coffee. If you haven't tried it, you definitely should. But I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I'm going to remind you that we have the Simply Stogie's LE Club, our limited edition club, uh, where you can uh, you get access to uh, the website. Uh, you get access coming in February 2023. You can watch live, ask questions live um, via Zoom. Uh, to to our to us to to our guests, um, we're going to have in 2023 a uh, members only program uh, that's going to be something very cool. I can't, I'm not going to announce it yet because we haven't worked out all of the logistics or anything. Uh, partly because you know the studio is not done yet, uh, but when it is, uh, we've got a, a lot of uh, announcements uh, to come out. But there's going to be something special. But the LE Club, it's ten dollars a month. $100 a year. Look, we don't take uh, sponsorships from anybody on the show. We don't. We, 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 we're we trying not to uh, as well, much to the chagrin uh, and consternation of several folks. Uh, we're just not doing sponsorships right now. And we rely on you, the listener, to help support us, a small podcast. Uh, and I want to thank our listeners. I mean, we're coming to the end of the year here in 2022. And so I want to thank our, our, our supporters our LE club members that have really helped us out. But as of right now, I, we don't have enough money to go to the PCA next year. Obviously we're, we're well behind on building the new studio. And so I, you know, we, we need your help. Uh, Simply Stogies.com LE club at the top. Um, click on that. Like I said, uh, $10 a month, hundred dollars a year. Uh, and, and you'll help support, you know, the passion project that is simply Stogies podcast. Uh, and you'll help keep us sponsor free, you know, um, otherwise we're going to have to look for sponsors to continue to bring you, uh, some of the things that uh, I know you want to hear, including things like the PCA, uh, the TPE, which we are not going to, uh, this year. Um, we just don't have the funds for, it. uh, pro cigar. There's a litany of things that we could be going to that we just don't, cause we can't afford it, but simply stogies.com LE club, uh, join us. If I can make a comment, James, you know, yes, 
I, I've had uh, conversations with James and the team and coming from a commercial radio side of things where we had plenty of sponsors and um, it, it's a very fine line to be able to walk where we definitely need funds to just fuel our passion. This is not you know, something we're making an income out of and that we're living off of this. No, this is something that just uh, we like to do. We like to talk about cigars, our passion, and uh, we'd like people to listen to it. So if you want the most unadulterated, pure, like reviews and things like that, you know, we're not taking, we don't even take, and again, even this, I'm not exactly hundred percent on board with, but <laughs> I respect it. We don't even take samples from manufacturers. Everybody that, as far as I know, pretty much everybody out there does that. And we don't. So we don't even, you know, we pay for our own samples, which is odd. Uh, but anyway, it's a good thing if you want to get the right reviews and you know there is no um, bias uh, for the most part of coming out from any of these things. So I think it's a good thing. So if you want to be a part of the insider team here with the LE Club, I think it's a great thing. If you uh, have a couple bucks to spare, it's a great thing to do. Yeah, That's and, and, That's I mean, yeah absolutely. No, I appreciate that, Nick. I really do because I know. Like I said, much of the consternation and chagrin of, of, of uh, a lot of folks. Uh, Nick's not the only one that says we should just start taking free stuff. But It's not uh, taking like, free mm. stuff. It's like the manufacturers mm. are giving them. No, yes, I know. Is it, is it, can they possibly give you something different than they're shipping to everybody else? And you, yes, but most people aren't going to do that. Um, but, you know, if you want to be pure about it, that's the best way is to actually purchase it at retail. You know, you're buying the same thing that people are going to be smoking so that's I, get it. I understand why but you know everybody else takes it why not I know. I am. it can get uh, expensive you're telling me brother you're telling me uh simply stogies.com offer the uh go there for the latest uh reviews uh both uh cigar reviews lounge reviews product reviews there's all kinds of stuff going on there all the time simply stogies.com go check it out join the le club and buy some coffee while you're at it janice coffee roast is like they're the best coffee roasters on the planet, in my opinion. Uh, go check it out. Um, Simply Stogies Coffee Podcast. That's all the shilling I'm going to do. I hate shilling. God, I feel dirty. I feel like I need a shower. Um, but let's just move right into Cuban news because we've got a ton of stuff that we want to cover today. Um, we're going to talk about the myths and the legends of Cuban cigars. We're going to talk about the the state of Cuba, state of Cuban cigars, the future of Cuba and Cuban cigars. Um, and we're just going to kind of try to put a big, nice bow on this entire sub-series that we've done this year. But first, Cuban news with Nick Sirius. Nick, what do you got? Yeah, I, I'm not going to get into a lot of Cuban news this time. There's always news on Cuba. Every week there's something. But uh, And I'd like to touch upon it, the people that are interested in what's going on in Cuba as it relates to cigars, not really politically or anything else. We talk about my passion is cigars in general, and my background is Cuban cigars. And uh, I like to talk about Cuban cigars and the state of Cuban cigars, and that's why we did this series. But, of course, the news kind of creeps in to make it kind of all fit together. And this week, the main thing that I can talk about is that Cuba finally is starting to see some relief in financing uh, what I mean by that is they are in the worst from what I've seen in my almost 15 years of traveling there um, state of finance 
I mean, the, we talked about in the past how it was the great trifecta of everything happening at once, the pandemic, the change in the uh, money, and the fact that you couldn't bring um, send money over from you know, the relatives, uh, mainly from the Miami area that were, and that's the number one GDP. That's how, believe it or not, most people there lived was from their relatives sending money, whatever they had to spare to Cuba via, you know, Western Union. And that was cut off for the longest time. And even though the people need the money, everything trickles down to the government. And, you know, it's gotten to the point where they could barely afford to, um, Keep the lights on. That's the best way to say it, because the, that literally has been the issue. If you were outside of Havana, you it got to the point in the last year that you had about an hour of daylight. I mean, of, of actual electricity. So when I was wow. there, in, when I was there in was it March? Yeah. Um, it, it, we were out in Pinar area, you know, the uh, the Vuelta Bajo region, the the mecca of Cuban tobacco, uh, which I love to travel. And that's my favorite area to be there, one with the tobacco, so to speak. But anyway, the the electricity would go off like four times a day. And I was like, holy Christ. And then in Havana, it was happening too, even in the city central where they tried to keep the power on the most because that's where the most tourists are. And they try to you know, give the illusion that everything is great and we have power and everything. Once you don't have power, people start to get worried. Um, so yeah, there has been no power. So what have they been doing? Uh, they've been working out deals with Turkey with these, um, it's like a cruise ship, but it's like a power plant and it produces electricity. But the biggest issue was, and they had like four or five of them that came over there and was producing extra energy, you know, for the country. But my whole thing is, man, how are they planning on paying for that? So Turkey's on board and they've talked about how they want to be a uh, bilateral um, partner with Cuba. And, you know, the president of Cuba went to Turkey and met with them and basically said, hey, please, we need some money. And and this is what the, the problem is, you know, and they're and they're increasing their trade volumes um, between these countries. You know, who are the countries? It just seems that the countries that Cuba... Uh, is most doing trade with is the ones the U.S. Uh, has the biggest problems with, in my opinion. Not that we have a problem with Turkey, but Iran, China, um, you know, we're talking about Venezuela. Um, you know, these are the countries that want to help. The whole world, with the exception of the U.S., does want to help because, you know, there is that the factor of, you know, look, again, not to get into the political part of Cuba, but you know, we want to help the people of Cuba. We want to make sure that they thrive. Um, but it's very difficult to do that without supporting the government that is in place there. And not that I am for or against the government of Cuba, but I know where the U.S. stands on it. And I understand that. And as an American, I have to also have that as part of uh, as part of my, of my uh uh, beliefs on it, of course, uh, and I honor the rules, and I and I work within the system that's in place that allows me as an American citizen to not only travel to Cuba but to report back um, to the good people that are interested in the Cuban cigar side of Cuba. So, the news, without dragging on too long, is that they're getting the power from Turkey right now. But more importantly, 
that China has been the biggest trade partner and where Cuba pretty much kind of put all their eggs. They basically said, okay, Russia's got the issues right now. They've kept a lot of the money. Um, the funds have been dwindling down for a number of years, and the money's been coming from Venezuela uh, for the most part through trade of oil. How you expect that to happen and how it's been happening, it's a whole topic of a conversation that would take a whole <laughs> podcast. But let's just say money was flowing into Cuba thanks to Venezuela for the longest time. Um, China kind of stepped up and started giving us, us, I'm saying us, me, the, the, the Cuban, the Cuban uh, country there, um, money. And for what? They were doing trading and this and that, but they basically wanted to become the new important player with Cuba. And I think a lot of that has to do with the strategic um, placement of where Cuba is in relation to the U.S. You know, Russia was very interested in Cuba. Why? Because of where, I mean, the bottom line is it's it's 90 miles off our shores and you don't want to have our biggest so-called adversaries uh right off our shores. And, you know, yeah. we, we all know about what happened you know, during the Cold War era. And now to have China kind of replace Russia as that new partner. But China is a lot different. Russia has been basically propping up the government and feeding that country for a number of years. You know, we, we talk about the special period, uh, you know, the 90s and the 2000s. It's been rough over there. Um, this embargo has put a hurt on the Cubans in general and the Cuban government uh, indirectly. Um, I always say the Cuban government, they always eat. The people there don't eat, but it has hurt them. So China came in, did all kinds of uh, things. They've invested in all different areas. They're building infrastructure. They gave them all their buses. They gave them all their cars. Um, And then they expected China to, I mean, to, for Cuba to pay for it. And uh, as usually happens with uh, trade deals and uh, Cuba kind of falls behind and then yeah. usually says, and it's happened in the past, hey, you know what? We're a third world country. Kind of, Can you erase some of this debt? It's been historically what's happened. And China, you know, where the other countries have said, yeah, okay, we'll let it go. We'll let some of it go. China has always been like, no, 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 no. We'll give you better terms. And then for a while, you would see that a lot of the cars, there was a big graveyard of cars that looked brand new. And I'm like, what's going on with these brand new Chinese cars? And what they were doing is they needed parts. But since they couldn't pay for the cars, China wasn't going to send them all these parts. So they were bastardizing these other cars to use the parts to make the other cars go. <laughs> um, so the buses, the same situation. And so they, they helped a lot with the infrastructure. But I think the bottom line was that the Chinese were saying, no mas, no, we're not going to keep paying and we want to know how you're going to pay us back. And um, it was, I guess China figured, well, what are we going to do now? So they just made a deal with them and it's good for for Cuba because now at least they're going to have some uh, economic uh, help. So they basically forego like $100 million, which is not a lot of money. Um, in, in the scheme of things when, and they're actually now going to start doing more trade because the trade, they used to do like 2 billion a year in trade and it went down to about 1.3. 
So now they vowed to step up and uh, basically work together more. And that basically China donated a hundred million to Cuba to help um, for them to survive their economic crisis uh, that's been going on because of the pandemic. And uh, then we had the hurricane that happened. So they generously gave a hundred million dollars and, that's a good thing because every million dollars that they get is more lights being on. So that's basically the news. Financially, um, they're trying to get to a better place, but I can tell you, and I've been talking about it for the last year, anybody that had a way to get off the island that wanted a way off the island got off the island. Um, the mass exodus that happened over the last year, you know, by far exceeded, you know, the Mariel Boatlift and, the amount of people that have left and landed predominantly in the United States um, is because there is nothing there to stay there. And people are scared. They don't see what the future is going to bring to them. It's not, nothing is like, okay, in a couple months, everything will be back to normal. No. So people left a lot of people. I, I've made a lot of good friends and uh, people in the cigar industry and just, uh, the vendors of Cuba and they all left, man. I have so many friends and, and people that I know have, have left and are in the U S or, or elsewhere. So it's a, uh, it's a touching time for them right now. Well, and- I think, I think that's a good jumping off point into, you know, the, the, the state of Cuba and Cuban cigars right now. And I, I you know, you, everyone's left everyone that, that can leave has left everyone else wants to leave and is trying desperately to get off the island. Um, you know, the Chinese have restructured their, uh, you know, the debt with, 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 uh, Cuba to make it a little bit, you know, more favorable, uh, that, you know, Turkey's given them power. What is right now? What is the state of Cuba and Cuban cigars? We had hurricane Ian go through, um, and, and what is the state of, of everything down there right now. Well, that's the thing that nobody's really talking about right now. Um, They did announce officially that the Habanos festival will be back after two years of hiatus. Um, They had the event in September, which was the Cohiba party, you know, the 55th uh, party, Um, but a full blown Habanos festival um 2020 was the last year they had that so 21 didn't happen 22 didn't happen 23 is going to happen so they announced it officially about a month or two ago and um as soon as they did since i go every year um as a journalist and as a aficionado um i bought my ticket united airlines who in two years of absence now is also uh going back flying to Cuba. So I'm actually going to fly there from Newark, New Jersey again. That'll be very, very nice and convenient for me. <laughs> um, and a lot of other airlines are starting to get flights back. So things are moving in the right direction. However, That's good news, right? Yes. Uh, I wish I had a, a more positive or optimistic view of what is happening in the state of Cuban cigars and tobacco. Well, um, you know, they moved a lot of the tobacco, the part that they could salvage from this herd. The hurricane there for people that don't know, um, devastated, devastated um, not only 
predominantly the the western part of the island, which is where Pinar del Rio and the Volta Baja region were the prima material, the best tobacco that is grown in Cuba is in that area. And that's the area that got hit the hardest. They have 12,769 curing barns. Uh, I read that number. I didn't know there was that many, but that's That's a lot of curing barns. Yeah. Well, they're all gone. There's nothing left. They all were down. Now the state of these barns, I mean, they look like they were, you know, antiques to begin with. And even the more modernized versions of them, um, they're gone too. But the well, older let's ones talk about were, for those who don't know, like what goes into building a curing barn? Like, is there a lot that goes into it, or is it just they're no, it, they just no. need a space to hang the leaves from? Basically, that's it. You know, they're just a cover. Um, the way curing barns work, um, the old style, where, where it's not actually climate controlled and everything else, it's it's so basic, but it works. Everything about this industry, everything about this product about this um, hobby that we have is really basic. And, you know, it's a handmade product. And even these curing barns, the the science of curing barns, they, when they want to get more humidity, they literally wet down the mud floors. When they want to get escape uh, the, the humidity, they open up the windows so they let right. more out. So it's pretty basic in those. There's nothing to it. They're like, they're huts, they're shacks. So, right. So building these back, even though there were 12,000, I mean, it's not like it's a massive undertaking. We're not talking about modern curing barns that are climate controlled. We're talking literally about shacks. Well, they were trying to replace a lot of the shacks with the modernized version of those shacks. But uh, if they had to, look, they have no lumber. That's a big problem there. They have no, I don't know who's going to pay for all this. And um, it would have to be the Habanos people, you know, Habanos meaning the Chinese element and the slash Spanish. That is, that's what happened back in the nineties when things went bad, Cuba had no money, so they couldn't produce cigars. So Altitis for people that don't know, this is how Habanos actually was created. They're like, the Spaniards were like, look, we want Cuban cigars. We're here. We want them. We, why can't you send them to us? And they basically said, uh, we don't have money for the fertilizer. Like, what? So because what was happening is um, Russia was giving them fertilizer, but it was a petroleum-based fertilizer, and that really caused havoc and killed the soil. So there was a few years there that, man, it was bad. But anyway, Altaida said, look, how about we give you the the fertilizer so we can get our product and we just take it off the price they said sure no problem so they started giving them fertilizer and then eventually it's like you know what why don't we go in partners and habanos uh, was created in 1994 as a co-op between the cuban taba cuba at the well it wasn't taba cuba back then but the agricultural arm of cuban tobacco and um the executive side of the managerial part of the business. So they partnered up. It was a 50-50 venture. And basically all the money came from, at the time, Spain. And then uh, obviously uh, when, when the English bought Altitis, it was an English company. So they were paying for everything. So now I don't see a big influx of money coming in because I can tell you this from the people that I speak to on a regular basis, they are not painting a good picture for me. They are telling me that they have not even begun to 
rebuild these these uh, barns. But more importantly, uh, for people that know, the growing season um, historically has been between October and January, depending on the weather and the hurricanes and the seasons. It's always in that area. Well, we are already into the almost into December when this this podcast is out. Yeah. Be December, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and they have not yet planted in, they have not yet planted anything. Now they're, they are working on the, uh, the, the seed beds. They're doing the, you know, they're making the seedlings. The main thing they're doing now is trying to work on the infrastructure, but you know, the seed beds are being developed, but nothing has been planted to date. So there is no tobacco. Now <laughs> my, my speculation and guess is, what they're really putting their dollars in uh, and they're trying to kind of shift is there's another area that's much closer to Havana. It's called, you know, the San Antonio area. And they have a lot of um, co-ops. They call them cooperativos. And basically what happened years ago is all the farmers kind of got together and said they formed these little corporation and each farmer got a seat on the board and they basically it was a collective Sure. Um, and they, 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 they got to get more money, uh, for the tobacco. And it was kind of like, I guess a way of unionizing in, in some ways with the full approval of Habanos. And, um, they wanted to make it better for everybody as best they could. And, uh, so the main area that I visited, it's very nice. Um, and it's kind of cool. And I met the big, the big people there, uh, that are involved in the, you know, the CEOs, so to speak of this thing. And, and, and it seemed like, okay, that's one way of doing it than having individual farmers and going around. It makes for a much more um, simpler and efficient system. So anyway, they're working on having that area kind of grow some. So I, I imagine, and my, and my guess is what are they going to do in, in February? You know, cause usually part of uh, the, the, the Habanos, week is they take you out to the farms and they, and they show you the, the planting and the, and every, where are they going to take it? There's nothing planted. So my guess is that they are going to send you the people to San Antonio, uh, which is one much closer to Havana. And they'll, and right now, from what I understand, they have the five, six, who knows how many, not a lot of farmers that are growing tobacco now. I think just for the look of it. So when they bring people, they say, oh, here, here's the tobacco. That is my guess. But the majority of the tobacco that normally, I don't know how they plan on making up this deficit. Um, I know they had, believe it or not, some reserves and some storage of stuff. Because I used <laughs> that, to that's see shocking. It. That's shocking. It was kind of like for a rainy day. Well, there has been no bigger rainy day than now. This hurricane, the timing of it couldn't have been worse um, right after, you know, the pandemic. It's just another, you know, blow to the the, the Cuban cigar industry. Um, so maybe they'll bring some of that out. Um, people know there's speculation that they do not. Officially, they will never say they don't. But, uh, you know, because Cuban cigars are made of Cuban tobacco. So if you have no Cuban tobacco, are you going to make Cuban cigars? So it'll be interesting to see what the official <laughs> I, statement is. I have an idea. 
uh, how they do well, it. And I, I, uh, and I think, yeah. I, you know, we could go into that uh, later with the myths and, and legends of Cuban cigars. Um, Cause that, that's a pretty popular one right now, I think. But uh, so uh, the bottom line is this, uh, it, the last couple of years, it has been a perfect storm uh, of just shit that could go wrong. Anything that could go wrong has gone wrong for Cuban cigars. Uh, the pandemic, um, you know, Hurricane Ian. And so they're in a, it, it sounds like they're in a bad way. Well, and- well, James brings to part two of this. Yes, they are in a bad way. Um, however, what is the other big news that happened this last year? That's been, you know, on everybody's, anybody the, that the loves Q, the price hike. Absolutely. So that is kind of done at a necessity. Uh, I think it would have been done anyway. I mean, this had to be done because when you have no product, the demand, it's all about supply and demand, right? And it's always been Cuban cigars have been in huge demand and there's never enough product for people to sell. They're always, and what always amazed me is they would only, only increase, you know, 5%, 6% a year. And the reason is they just can't produce more tobacco and more cigars, but they try. And it's always a very incremental increase every year that they're able to get, but well below what they, they should, but you know what, that's what feeds this, you know, like why are Opus X, you know, uh, Toro Fuentes Opus X cigars in such demand? because you can't get them. People want what they can't get. So if there's less of it, it artificially, artificially in the third, um, you know, world markets, um, prices increase. So Habana said, you know, we got to get in on this. And they just on the Cohiba and the um, Trinidad brands, they tripled the prices. Well, I mean, everything got, everything got increased. Everything got got increased, but like, here's, so here's for me is kind of where some of my questions lie. When you talk about Arturo Fuentes, you know, the Fuente Fuente Opus X, that is artificially, uh, you know, like they do it on purpose. It's not like there's a, a maybe a shortage of that tobacco. It's uh, we're only going to plant this much because we want it to be special. It'll drive the price up naturally or artificially, yep. I guess. Right. right. And, and they can make more money. And I, I guess from a business standpoint, I have no problem with that. And, and I'm okay with that because it's the same thing with any company that puts out any limited edition, right? It's like, it's a limited run of this tobacco. It is what it is. Uh, and, and it'll, it'll drive the price up. My, my, my issue with, with this price hike with, with Cuban cigars, and I understand it from a business standpoint. And I even understand it from the shit show that has been going on in Cuba for the last couple of years that they really need uh, an infusion of cash. Um, but it seems to me like it would be easier to get that infusion from uh, of cash from the Venezuelans or the Chinese or, or, or whoever else other than let's price hike um, this tobacco. And I think I said it on the last one, uh, but the secondary market has really is really, in my opinion, is what has driven the prices up and shown Habanos as they like, oh, well, shit, these people are willing to pay ridiculous sums of money for these cigars, which are already in high demand because they, they, they can't make enough to keep up with worldwide demand because they are such great cigars. When, when Cuban cigars are great, they're great. And there's nothing like them on the planet. Uh, and that's not to take away from non-Cuban cigars, because I love non-Cuban cigars probably more than I like Cuban cigars at this point. But when they're great, like they are fantastic. But when they're bad, they're just terrible. 
So uh, the secondary market is already, uh, you know, places like Bond Roberts and, 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 you know, auction houses like that really showed Habano says, Hey, well, we can start charging more. And so they did start charging more. Now they kind of have to do it out of necessity and all the Chinese, all of the, uh, the Asian market is literally just buying them at whatever cost Habano says puts out. Yeah, they are totally insatiable. I think the auction houses, the bond Roberts have shown it contributed to this. Uh, or, but I don't think that was the factor. I think they said, Oh, well, they just kind of like put the the dot on the eye, knowing that, okay, we're doing the right thing. If people are willing to pay and they have evidence of it, they've known for a long time. I mean, the prices, I can tell you, for instance, the Cohiba Grand Reserva, when that came out, you know, the, the secondary market almost immediately was like $1,000 a box. And people were like, oh my God, $1,000 a box. Yeah, that's gone to... I mean, I've heard of crazy numbers, 40,000 a box now, and I've smoked many of those cigars and I had boxes of them. So is it an investment? It can be. If history is any indication of future performance, um, that brings me to the other thing I wanted to tell you, James, is that I had a kind of, I was like, this is the end of Cuban cigars originally, you, know, you triple. The shock of the tripling of the prices is, is what did it for everybody. Uh, an average box in Cuba of Cohiba Sigilo Sixes was around 550 bucks pre-pandemic. That's about the high side in Cuba. It's an officially fixed price there, uh, which also happens to be the lowest price a consumer can buy it directly. Yeah. If you went to any other country, you're talking about the importer prices, distributor prices, and of course, the taxes of the country, even from duty-free. Cuba was definitely the number one place you could buy the least expensive cost of a Cuban cigar. Second to that is the Beirut airport duty-free market. The Phoenicia runs that. It's a beautiful lounge. It's an amazing lounge in the middle of this big bustling airport. And there is a membership there and people go there just to smoke at the airport. And not only that, but people fly to Beirut, never leave the airport mainly Russians and Chinese to buy Cuban cigars because the price was so low. They would go there, make a day of it. There's, there's hotels at the airport. You go there, you smoke cigars, you buy as much as they have available and you go back to your country. And it's a lot closer for them to go than flying the other hemisphere and coming to Cuba and for the difference, you know, so that's what they were doing. So now Cuban cigars I mentioned they were $550. Well, when I was back with the new prices, the box of Cuban Sigalo 6s is now $1,700 in Cuba. Now, not that they have them because I went to, to the Casa <laughs> right. de Habanos and they would have like one box and they would allow you to buy one or two one, sticks. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy that they're making all this money, if you think about it, but they have no product to sell. Now, the reality the reason why it's not there, there's a lot of reasons for that, but they don't have enough. The bottom line is they just don't have enough. And no matter how much they make, they sell. And the Asians are buying it like crazy prior to the pandemic. If you went to Cuba and you wanted to buy Cuban cigars, you were very let down because if you wanted to buy Cohiba or Trinidad, you couldn't find it. And you're like, what the heck's going on? Where is this stuff? The Asians would fly there and buy it. 
and they were paying a premium and they were paying people to hold it on the side and this and that and being tipped and and you couldn't find it was in the Casa de Abanoses there was very little Cohiba in Trinidad so that also contributed you know to the price increase um, the fact that the Chinese ownership now said hey look and I talked about this in, in the earlier podcast if we can't adjust the prices. We want all of it. We can't, you guys don't make enough just for our market, but, and we don't want to kill our whole distribution in place. So what we're going to do is we're going to set the price as the price that's being sold in, in uh, China. And that's, what's going to be the price. The the official MSRP now is now going to be the Chinese price. And so that's what made it triple. And here's the reality. These people will buy anything with a Cohiba band on it. And they will pay whatever it is because people are buying it. As long as people are willing to pay the price, the prices are going to go up and up. But here's what I had a very kind of like eureka moment, so to speak. I, of course, with everybody else was like, this is ridiculous. They they want to be the burka bag of, of cigars. They want to price it out of everybody's normal range. Okay, I get it. So it's going to be a very limited market and it's going to be hugely, you know, exclusive and okay, great. Not for me. But then I thought a friend of mine came into the cigar club that I belong to and said, Hey, you know what? Costco has this great deal on this Chateau. I forgot what it was, but it was like normally $1,200 a bottle and Costco had it for $465. So I'm going to buy three bottles And I'm going to sell two of them for more than double. And then I get my bottle for free. And I said, you know what? I wonder if people are starting to think or even do things like that. Because if you know this stuff, and I can just tell you in just the last year, the price is continually going up, even from the official, we're talking secondary markets. So people are buying it. If you go to the online sites everywhere, out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. So where are all these cigars going? What they have left, I believe, is going very limited. You know, they're being limited to each country, to each, you know, proportionally. And then I'd say that 99% of that is going over to Asia because the Asia market is exploding and they're willing to pay. I, I can't explain why, but all I know is that's what's happening right now. So the price has gone up. So maybe, you know, on on the on the flip side of being negative, if you want to partake and make a couple dollars or be able to smoke Cuban cigars, you know, for those occasions. Um, and again, not because it's so much better than other cigars. No, it's it, our, what makes a burka bag worth, you know, 200,000 for that sake. Well, what makes it worth 20,000? It's uh, material. Some, well, yeah. Someone has to be willing to pay that price. Right. That's what makes it worth it. It's, and if there's somebody willing to pay it, that's why it's worth it. Is it worth it? Maybe not for you or me, but for somebody it is. And they're willing to spend their money on it. So well, if you want to be able to buy it, you buy it at let their me, price. Let, let, let me play contrarian for just a minute. And it's not that I don't disagree with you. I kind of agree to, with, with you to a point that you can use Cuban cigars as an investment. You buy three boxes, you sell two, your box is free, you know, and you can probably go afford to buy a second box, right? So Mm -hmm. I I get it, but like, just like, let's just take, I'm not going to say what website I'm on, but I am on a very popular secondary market 
uh, website, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the uh, and I, I've had a box of these. I bought several boxes of these a long time ago for a split with a a club I used to be associated with. Um, the Monte Cristo uh, uh, Linea nineteen thirty five Leanda, great cigar, mm-hmm. great cigar. Yeah. When when we bought those boxes, we literally got each box for like six or seven hundred bucks. It is now sixteen hundred and fifty dollars for a box, and it that's that comes out to ninety dollars a a stick. Ninety dollars a stick. Now I have always been of the mind that there is not a cigar on the planet worth a hundred dollars. Period. End of discussion. If I had what is colloquially known as fuck you money, I might buy a $100 cigar or a $300 cigar uh, or a $500 cigar just because I can. However, there's there's not that many people. There are not that many people that have fuck you money. Uh, and so and even, even those who I know who have a lot of money, uh, comparative, uh, you know, to what I have or to what someone else has or what, you know, society would say society would call them well off. They don't buy hundred dollar cigars because they're not worth it. They're, they're, they're just not. And so when you take a look at what the cost was, which was $30 a cigar, and it is literally now, you know, doubled and it then tripled and it's $90. That's ridiculous. It is on a level that I don't, in my opinion, and I get it, they they don't have enough product to go around. So it makes it exclusive and it makes it limited and it makes it hard to get and hard to find. And that raises the prices, but they have artificially raised the prices, especially on Trinidad and Cohiba. I don't, I, I don't believe that the market will be able to sustain it that this uh, you know much longer due to the rise of inflation that market's going to collapse and it's going to put habanos sa in even in an even worse spot down the road no i disagree i disagree i it sounds theoretically what should happen because it cannot be sustained but if there's enough people that are willing to pay these prices now and it's you can go on any website online, all the big players that now they're not even selling. I, I'm just I just plugged up a, a very well known, um, somewhat reputable online site, and you have to search to mm-hmm. find Cuban cigars. Yeah. Now there they yep. there's Davidoff and a bunch but of different. My, you know, the but Fuentes. that goes to my point, Nick. My point is, the, it's not just that they're pricing people out because they are. But they're making it more exclusive. They're making it super harder to get people, especially here in America, which like, let's just be honest. We still get them here in America. We do our best to get them. We're going to stop doing that. And you know, as well as, and you know, as well as I do, and that folks in Europe are now bringing in non-Cuban cigars for the last couple of years because it's been so hard to get Cubans and now because of the price. And so they're that market, their market share is shrinking. And if they want to, well, if they want to cater to the super rich, I'm okay with that. But like, just say we're going to cater to the super rich. 
Well, they pretty much are saying that they're saying supply and demand and we don't have enough. And what we have, we have realized the market price should be this. And, you know, this happened, this goes back to like 2016, way before any of these huge price increases, you saw that other parts of the world outside of you understand that the U S represents, this is going to, for people that don't know, freak a lot of people out. I would say that 70% of the world's tobacco cigars, premium cigars are consumed by the U S market. 70%. That's a lot. And, and we're not a big market. If people go, well, how big is the, the whole industry? The whole industry in the U S is worth about a billion dollars with a B. Uh, I mean, I'd say maybe three or 4 billion, but you're right. It's not uh, compared to uh, other industries. It is not very large. It's very small. And very, that's very the small. largest market compared to the other, you know, the rest of the world. I know in Cuban cigars, what they were producing, I mean, they, they publish the numbers every year, what they say they're, they're producing. And it's such a small number of people. So it's not a huge, it's a very niche product. So of the niche, there's a niche and those people want to pay whatever they want to pay and they're willing to pay. And since they don't have it, they keep raising it. What has been good for the industry in whole, everybody, most people like to slam Cuban cigars every chance they can. And I understand there are many reasons to be down on <laughs> Cuban cigars. And we're not going to get into that. We talked about no, it. We've talked episodes. about it ad hoc. We're done. And, and we're, ad nauseum. we're done. Yeah. But trying to be positive and put that bow at the end of it, what it's done for the industry as a whole is it's increased awareness worldwide. I mean, any Cuban, uh, any cigar smoker knows that when they walk and a non cigar smoker, when they walk up to you, what do they say to you? Hey, are you smoking a Cuban or is that a Cohiba? It make it's, I mean, yeah. look, uh, we all have the eye roll and get, Oh Jesus. But you know what? <laughs> this is what people know because of the, uh, of what's been out there. That's what people know. Good, bad, or indifferent. So the Cuban mystique, and it's really, it's all about the mystique of this forbidden smoke that made it so alluring and wanted people wanted. That's what made it. That that's what made the price be higher to begin with. With before you get into the quality and everything else, people wanted it because it was you know not available in the U.S. So people brought them in. You know, right. everybody wanted that smuggled you know product in here for so many years. Forbidden so that made fruit. it. The forbidden fruit, it's all about that. So that made it bigger. But what it also has done for our industry is that even though the majority of the market in the world goes to the U.S., nobody else wanted non-Cuban cigars. I can tell you firsthand in being involved in the, um, the you know, the um, Saudi Arabian market in the Middle East of cigars and how I got into this industry. I couldn't give away a Fuente. I couldn't give away a Padron. And it's like, what? I'm like, these are the best cigars out there. And people are like, no, no, no. If it's, no, not, no Cuban, it's not Cuban. It's yeah. fake. It's fake. They wouldn't even say. And then to be nice about it, they would say, well, it's a Dominican. No, well, it's not really. You know, this is Nicaragua. It's Dominican. And then the word New World Cigar started being you know, used. And at least that's a good, I, I do like that word. And I think it's a good one because they would say old world for Cuban, new world, which means this is the new replacing innocent, but it doesn't have to be like, you know, one doesn't have to replace the other. The, the way you have French wines and California wines and Australian wines, they all can coexist and, and they're different palate uh, for people that enjoy different things and you yeah. can have different things and that's great. 
One doesn't have to be better or worse. It's just different. It's just so, one is. But, but, <laughs> okay. But, but the, the point of it is that it increased the market outside of the U.S. People right. were willing to try. And the reason for it was because they got scared shitless when President Obama said, you know what? They, they thought that Cuba's opening up and God, we can't get Cuban cigars now. And, and we'll never see one Cuban cigar if they open up the U.S. market. Of course, we know the U.S. market was never open, but a lot of people assume that. Ask any retailer, ask your local retailer. When the changes happen, if they had, to, if they were fielding one call a year, now they're fielding 10 calls a day saying, hey, do you have Cuban cigars? No, sir, Cuban cigars are illegal. Oh, we just heard. No, you heard incorrectly. So, of course, you know, that was the, but that same uh, misconception was echoed across the whole world, people thinking, oh my God. So it opened up the market for some of the bigger brands. And even look, I started overseas with my cigar as an alternative to a Cuban. That was my market, my palate. And I made blends that for people that smoke Cuban cigars would want to smoke my cigar. That was where I focused on. Um, Where the the U.S. market, in my opinion, the palate is, is so different. And, you know, the rest of the world is starting to understand that palate and enjoy it. And eventually you're right. The market will shrink and it'll just be in place where, you know, if the Asians continue, if, if something happens to the, to China economically and the Chinese uh, market and the Asian markets, will they be able to sustain those prices? No, no, because that's, what's driving it. But maybe not. Let's say if that happened tomorrow, they're still in a good position because I think they would still be able to sell every cigar they have uh, at these crazy prices because there is none. Like uh, right now, you know, I talked about they're not planting. What they are going to plant is basically sun-grown wrapper because they don't have the cheesecloth even to do it. And predominantly all the tobacco that they're going to be planting because of what's happened to the soil is it's going to be used for cigarettes. So cigarette tobacco or cigarillo tobacco because it's affected it. So Mm. it's going to be a bad market right now for Cuban cigars anyway. So what they have, they're going to try to maximize and get as much money as they can. And hopefully in the future, things will normalize. And who knows if it's all about what the market will bear. If they can say, hey, look, people, we're, we're not selling as much. We have a surplus. If they have to, they'll lower the prices. But it's difficult. It's difficult to go down, you know, but and I think it'll it'll take away from it. But at the, and for, in the time being, you know, there's not enough. You can buy it at crazy prices. You can put it away and make somewhat of, I don't take investment advice from me, especially when it comes to cigars, <laughs> but, but I can tell you historically people have purchased, I, I know friends and we're not even talking 10 years ago. I mean, people that have purchased a box of cigars for say $400, you know, three years ago, that same box is now $1,500, yeah. $2,000. And we're talking layman, you know, we're, we're not talking in, you know, like when I say layman, I, I mean, there are collectors that are buying and stocking up and and they know what they have. We're talking about the average Joe is doing that. And like, wait, that box of cigars I bought a couple of years is now doubled. Yeah, maybe triple. So, you know, maybe it's a good thing in some ways. I'm just trying to be positive about it. In the, yeah, it's a smaller market, but I think it's, you know, what do they say? The the high tides raise all boats or whatever. The mm-hmm. whole industry um, in general, 
pricing, people are starting to not like people used to bitch about a $10 cigar. And I used to crack up and go, man, if you only knew what goes into that cigar, $10 is a value and is a bargain that you would never understand. The amount of hands that have to touch that cigar, what goes into each individual cigar, you should be happy that you can pay only $10 for that cigar. There's not a lot of people that know exactly how many hands have touched that and what goes into from even, you know, before seed to shelf. Uh, what what goes into the making of a cigar. But I, I think you're right on one point, uh, and that is that a rising tide raises all ships, and this has really given uh, rise. And you could, you could see that from the attendance at the PCA this last year uh, that they had uh, a lot of folks from Europe and from overseas come in, retailers come into the show to find out what uh, some of these companies, uh, some of these manufacturers had. And, and uh, you know, I think that's a good thing. Um, do I, look, you know, we're putting a bow on things. So do I like Cuban cigars more than I like non-Cuban cigars? Like I said, when they're great, there's nothing else like it in the world. So yeah, I love Cuban cigars. I really do. Listen, but- there's a uniqueness. There's uh, there's something that's very, uh, my friends always, I have one in particular that I'll talk about for, he supplies me with so many different cigars, but a game we've been playing for years is Cuban, not a Cuban. And something that I've gotten very good at, I can taste Cuban tobacco. I can tell the difference. It's, I love trying to recreate that. And I've done it in some of my cigars or at least as close as I can come to it, but it's something very unique. There's a taste there. You just cannot reproduce. I don't care. It just cannot be, it cannot be done. And if you like that particular taste in those flavors, then Cuban cigars are the only way to go. Um, But again, it's what you get used to. You know, George Burns smoked, you know, a very inexpensive cigar. And if you gave him a $200, $1,000 cigar, he would not want it anymore. The same thing with wine. We, we talked about wine. There's a $10 bottle of wine. There's people all day yep. long. They'll buy a $2,000 bottle of wine. And if you give two glasses, most people won't know which is which. No. So, again. It's smoking the label. I crack up because I have friends that I exactly, that's what I say. Oh, you're like you're smoking labels again. And, and yeah, that's what you do when you smoke a Cuban cigar. You're smoking the label. Uh, and, and for uh, the most kinda. part, even, yeah, kinda. Some, the, the majority of it, the pricing. Yeah. Per, well, now of it, the pricing of it. Yeah, for sure. But you know, people that are smoking, a lot of people smoke Davidoff's. Now I'm not putting Davidoff down at all. They're quality cigars and they're a great company. However, they are priced on the higher spectrum of normal cigars out there. So are they worth it? Some people will say no. But the point of it is there are people that will only buy Davidoff because the price is higher. There's people that would only buy and smoke cigars because they will. How many retailers out there that are listening and they have the guy come in, I want to buy your most expensive cigar. Why? Because that means it's the best. Oh, it's the best. No, yeah. it's not. Works. But you know what? I'll sell you my most I'll, expensive. Because all right. Means I'm going to make the most of my own money. Well, I'll sell but, you two of them. Yeah. But people that know, know that price and and quality do not go together when it comes to products that are made by hand or organically and cigars, wines, and many other things like that are in that category. They're just right. not. There's no correlation. So let me let, let's change gears for for a second here, because um, I kind of want to wrap this this series up on a couple of fun things and and, and uh, you know myths and legends. But 
the first question I want to ask is kind of serious. The morality of buying from a communist. Now, look, I get it. Like, I've talked to folks. So you, you, I get it. I'm not really buying from Habanos SA. So I'm not directly supporting communism because I'm buying secondary market. But no, no, that's uh, I'm yeah, still the same supporting communism because I'm buying a, a, a Cuban cigar. Is there a morality to buying a Cuban cigar that we should at least, if not heed to, at least reflect on before we pull the trigger on uh, purchasing Cuban cigars? Well, I can tell you this, that when I go to Cuba, I try to eat only at, uh, you know, Paladars, which are run or owned, you know, these, these businesses now that you're allowed to have in Cuba, uh, you say communist country, uh, they like to refer to it as a socialist country. The bottom line is right now, I don't want to say they encourage, you know, entrepreneurship, but they are, uh, they, they have for many years. And again, it's out of necessity because they couldn't afford even putting all these people on the payroll. So they would encourage people to open up their own little restaurants, um, rent your house out for money anyway. And they had certain categories. You were able to have businesses that you were able to draw. And again, who are your customers? 90% was tourism. So when you have no tourism, you're in, you're in a jam. But so my whole point is I made every attempt to use private taxis. I stated private houses instead of, um, hotels. Uh, I ate at private, you know, restaurants. So at least my money would go directly to the Cuban person. However, at the end of the day, it's all funneling back into the Cuban government. People go, oh, you right. know, yeah, I could say all day long, yeah, I'm giving it to the Cuban people. And I am as best as I can. But at the end of the day, it's still going to the Cuban government. So the morality of it is we can try to help feed the people of Cuba. Uh, but at the end of the day, the government is getting it. So if you uh, look, the one thing uh, about this industry, the, the cigar industry in the U.S., majority, everybody knows. And there was a, for the longest time, if you were not of Cuban descent, then you could make a Cuban cigar. Well, people like Rocky and Alan Rubin and many people like that in the 90s proved that to be incorrect. Right. But there was, oh, I'm Cuban, so I know how to naturally make Cuban cigars. Oh, I mean cigars. Well, that's not true, and there's a whole other conversation there. But the point of it is they were so anti-Cuban cigars. And, and I was in the beginning when I got into this industry, kind of looked down in a lot of ways. And I'm sure a lot of people still do not think very highly of me because I travel to Cuba. And I tell the people here and the people there, I go for the cigars. That is what I'm about. I'm about tobacco. I don't see the politics of it. I mean, obviously I see it, but I don't partake. I don't talk bad. I don't talk good. I just want to smoke Cuban cigars. I want to smoke good cigars, uh, Cuban or otherwise. I make cigars that are not Cuban and they're, in my opinion, very good. Cuban cigars, some when they're properly constructed are just unique and amazing in my opinion. So, the morality of it is, yes, the money is going to filter to the government. Um, and you just have to deal with that one way or the other. And if you don't like that, don't buy Cuban cigars. Believe me, there's enough people out there that are as we've right. talking yeah. about. Yeah. So th there is a morality of it. And I understand your point. And I can understand it and see it. 
but it's up to the individual. Oh yeah, no, I I, I agree. I think it's an individual choice. I, I've known guys who have said they won't they won't buy it, they won't smoke it, don't send it. I don't I don't want it, uh, and, and I respect that. Um, for me, I, look, I get it. I, it's been this this embargo has gone on too long. I just think it's time to end it. That's me. It's my own personal uh, opinion. Uh, love it, hate it, leave it. Don't 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 give a shit. Uh, let me let me ask you this, Nick. What do you do? Because <laughs> I know this has happened to you. Uh, when and it's happened to me just recently. Uh, when someone gives you a Cuban cigar, and you know yeah. it's fake, you know it's fake. Like you can look at the band and without even any hesitation, go, "Oh, this is fake as shit." Like what? <laughs> like you know, I even looked at the the gentleman who gave it to me. I was like, "Is it fake?" And just kind of laughed, like, "Ha ha ha." He's like, "You know, no, it's not fake." Like the, and I'm looking at the band, going, "This is fake as fuck." Like, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Like, what I did was I didn't say anything. I said, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to smoke it. And I put it in my, I put it in my, uh, you know, little uh, travel door and off I went. Yeah, well, um, that happens, <laughs> <You're> like, you <laughs> know. <laughs> well, I've done many different things. Depends on the person that gave it to me. You know, if it's somebody that should know better, I will let them know. If it's somebody that truly wants to know and says, hey, listen, somebody gave me this cigar. Is this real? I mean, I can usually tell from across the room. Right. But there are some fakes that are so good that the only way to really tell is by smoking them. And then there are some that are clearly fake with a fake band, fake box. But maybe the tobacco is really good Cuban tobacco. And they taste pretty good anyway, but they're fake. Uh, right. When I say fake, they're unofficial Habanos releases. So uh, what do I say? If it's a gift, of course, I thank them for it. Um, but if they want to know or they ask me if it's real, I will gently say, hey, this is a good <laughs> cigar or whatever. But, yeah, it happens to me way more than I like to. If you know it's fake and you don't, you have no idea where the fuck this guy got it, right? Do you smoke it? Do you put that, do you, do you cut it, light it, put it in your mouth? Like, what, is that what you do? No, no. A lot of times, and, I, and I've done this when I did the tours in Cuba, <laughs> I tell people, look, I don't care where you buy them from, but I would really discourage you buying it from the street guys because you don't know what you're buying. And then of course, inevitably people are just going to be, the allure of it being so cheap, they go, I, I know. Try I know one so of the guys it. that did that on one of your trips and he, we cut them open. We cut, yeah. like, I think two of them open. They were all long filler. There was nothing wrong with them uh, that we could ascertain. There was no, you know, mouse droppings or rat turds or, you know, hair. There was floor sweepings. It was all long filler. It looked nice. And we smoked them, you know, the ones that we didn't. Uh, and they were, they smoke great. They tasted like a Cuban should taste. So it was, it's hit and miss. And so for me, it's like, man, like I've had somebody hand me one and go, this is fake. This is obviously fake. Like you can smoke it if you want. Don't, I'm like, all right, I appreciate it. And it's still sitting in my humidor that, you know, and then the one that I just got recently, I'm like, I don't know if I should smoke it or not. Like what's the worst that could happen? Well, I've seen some really bad fakes. <laughs> Now, in Cuba, if you're buying fake Cubans in Cuba, it's a 50-50. You could buy, again, we know that there's a lot of people that work in these factories. And we've talked about this in past episodes, but I'll bring it up again. 
on top of their very small salary, they are given five Cuban cigars a day as their allotment. So it takes them, you know, a week for them to have enough to put in a box. And then they will get a fake box that is readily available there from China probably. And then they will give it to what I will call an agent or salesperson that will take it to the street and will sell it for as much as they possibly can. And then they will split the money with the roller that gave it to them. So in those cases, you're buying the same exact cigars as being sold out there at a very, very good price. Now you can tell that the box is probably fake. The bands are fake. The color grading is all over the place. There's, there's not the quality control uh, of, of, of producing an ideal box, but you know what? Those cigars aren't bad, but if you don't know those people, there are many people that are basically, you're talking about mouse droppings and this and that. I've had people that have bought and I've told, look, do not buy. It depends on the individual. And I've cut them open and I go, man, you were going to smoke this. Look what's in here. It's like dirt, you know, hair, like you mentioned, all those things. They were all been in some of these cigars. So it depends on the price that they're willing to sell. If they're going to give it to you for 50 bucks, you can guarantee that they're not, that, they're not, they're not going to be any, if you're going to pay two or $300, you know, what generally you can do is usually try one from these yeah. people. Not that I, you know, encourage it, but you know, it's a 50, 50, you're going to buy because as long as this system is in place, which I do not agree with, you know, they're not paying people what they should be paid, but then they're giving them tobacco, which is encouraging them to basically sell against the Habanos to the tourists that are there. Uh, I don't know. It's a catch 22. You know, if they paid them regular wages, then they wouldn't have to do what they do. Um, But as long as that exists, it used to be one cigar a day. Then it was two cigars. Now they're up to five cigars. And you know, that's why a lot of these, factory tours they don't even let people go and when they do they watch them like hawks because you're going to get a guy that's hoping to slip you their phone number and it's not for a date it's for hey you know what i got cigars and (laughs) and it happens they'd be like oh it's a date whatever i don't care you know just don't give them cigars it it happens it happens you know so yeah there's there's a lot out there and and that goes to show you that of all the the demand that is that is out there for cuban cigars I don't know what the percentage is, who knows, but it's a very high percentage, especially in the U.S., of people that are smoking Cuban cigars that are not Cuban cigars. And that's why when I talk to somebody, he says, oh, I had a Cuban that wasn't, uh, oh, it's cracked up to me. I didn't like it. It sucked, this and that. And, I, and the first thought in my head is, well, there's probably a 70, 80% chance that you weren't even smoking a Cuban, a real Cuban cigar. So, you know, you can't assess your whole value of what Cuban cigars should taste like from one that you've been given by a guy that gave you. Here's another thing. Since the pandemic, because there's such an insatiable demand, I know of people in Miami, in the Miami market that are selling straight out Dominican, lesser quality uh, Dominican tobacco wrapped with a Cuban band that comes from China. If you go on Alibaba or all, you can buy Cuban boxes that look pretty much the same. And maybe they are the exact same. I don't know. No, you can order, I mean, you can buy boxes online. Like I, people right. sell their boxes. 
Well, so. I'm just saying in, 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 in mass production, you know, the Chinese, this is what they do with, with regular brands. They'll make a Mont Blanc wallet, but then they'll produce a whole bunch that are sold on the street. <laughs> and when I was in China, man, I'm telling you, I bought this one Ralph Lauren polo that I was like, cause I, I used to wear Ralph Lauren all the time and I loved it. And I said, this is so good. The material, I tell you what, I bought a shirt on the street in Beijing that I still have to this day, the quality is better than the stuff that I bought at the Ralph uh, stores. <laughs> and, and the only way you could tell, and it is so simple, the actual buttons on the fake said Ralph Lauren, but yeah. the real ones didn't say it. And, and that shirt lasted longer than the real one. So the Chinese are producing, you know, and they, there's a, you want to talk about the morality of what they do. Well, that's a whole nother story. Uh, that's a whole nother about story. It too. Yeah. But, but yeah, they're being produced in Miami and a lot of places are selling or people are selling Cuban cigars that are the farthest thing from Cuban cigars. I can take one drag and go, nope, this is not Cuban. I know it's not. And it could be so good looking and meaning the, the, the stamps could be there. The, the band could be correct. The box could be great, but the tobacco doesn't lie. It's yeah. not Cuban and you can't reproduce that taste. So. <clears throat> All right. So I want to do a speed round because we're, we're, we're running long on time, but I want to do a speed round with you, Nick. Um, and I'll ask you a myth. Like I've only got two or three. I'll ask you a myth uh, or a legend and you can just say yes, no, or no comment. <laughs> like, okay. we'll just, all right. So uh, all Cuban cigars come from the same, uh, the same fields. They're all rolled in one factory and somebody goes through and smokes each batch and says, ah, that's a part of this. Ah, no, this is a Hoya. This is, ah, this is a Cohiba. Uh, yeah, yes or no? Well, we can go one further where there have been people that have said that there is no blends in Cuban cigars, that they're all exactly the same. It's all one blend and they just put different bands according to size. I've heard that yep. myth. <laughs> and that has been perpetuated for a long time. Um, now, there are certain cigars, just like you go to a, a humidor in your local tobacconist and you could smoke three different cigars with three different brand names on it that are all produced by the same manufacturer at three different price points. Now in Cuba, they do have, I do believe that, you know, they make the sizes the same in certain, certain cigars, exact same size. So is it the same? No. Um, because there actually is blends. And even though all the tobaccos theoretically are coming from one country, you can still blend the differences and they're, they're given the blends as they are. And, and here's why you can tell the difference. I can tell an Epicure number two versus a Bolivar. Do they taste exactly the same? No. Are they a lot closer and harder to discern which is which? Yes, because you're talking about they're all from the same country and they're not, you know, as, as drastically different, but once the, uh, every year at the Habanos festival, they have a sommelier type contest where they will do just that. We'll give you a cigar and you'll say, which one is this? And I know good friends of mine that are that all they do is smoke Cuban cigars. I could take the band and give them a Cohiba versus a Monte Cristo versus whatever. And they will know as will I. So yes, the myth is debunked. There okay. are not, but there's reason for people to say it. And I understand why they say, it. and there's very, very bright people in this industry who have, back that same statement uh, that had been in the industry forever, which is an incorrect statement. Right. So debunked. Uh, are Cuban cigars rolled on the thighs of virgins? Well, we've heard that, you know, cigars <laughs> have been rolled on the thighs of virgins or women 
for years. And I think where that comes from, I, I don't know where it originally started, but I think, and again, this is my theory. Uh, Dirty old men in a cigar lounge. Uh, maybe, but <laughs> what I, what the only thing I can think of when it comes to women, women do have a certain ability to in the cigar manufacturing world than men, for instance, in the color grading area where yeah. you're basically grading. I'm amazed at how they can do that. There's, you know, 54 different variations of this and a hundred of it. Yeah. And they will within in, in a blink of an eye, be able to tell the difference and, you know, put them according to the colors. And it's a known fact that men just cannot do that as well. Um, yeah, no, any, certain things. any husband who has watched any episode of whatever home improvement show uh, with their wives automatically, they know that they know that women can pick out colors better than men. 100% because it's blue, black. I don't know. It's something. And then you add the fact that when the Legito factory, which is known as the Cohiba factory was started in 1966, um, Fidel basically took this old mansion and it's a beautiful building. Um, and he said, you know what? We have a lot of women that are unemployed. We want to train them and teach them on how to be cigar rollers. And everybody that worked at the factory for, I don't know how many years was a hundred percent women. So, you know, there may be that reason for it, but no, of course they're not rolled you can't roll them on your thigh anyway. I've seen what people do is, you know, you can sort them from a lot. Of, and to this day, people do that. I mean, they have things now you can put them on, but you could easily put them on your thigh, you know, three or four leaves across to categorize when you're categorizing the tobacco. So there's, that's where the rolled on the thighs come from and the women part, and the, the virgin part. I don't know, but you know, I would say that's, that's the, the, the most known uh, rumor slash myth and the most silliest of all of them. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, last one. This is, this is it. We'll wrap up this series. We'll wrap up this episode. Is there, <laughs> is there, cause I believe there is. So I'm going to tell you, this is the only one out of the three, like uh, myths, legends, uh, whatever that, that I actually think is true. Uh, is there Dominican or Costa Rican or any other tobacco used in Cuban cigars. And I'll tell you why I think this. I, I, I would tell you why. Um, you know, as most of you know, I've only been smoking cigars for about five or six years now. And and when I started getting into Cuban cigars, it was, it was before 2019. It was uh, 2017. And so I was buying cigars, you know, that were rolled in 2016, 2015, and all the way through uh, 2018, um, I had to let anything that was from 2018. I'm I'm just now literally smoking through those boxes from 2018, and and they're smoking great. But you had to let them sit for at least two years, and if you didn't let them sit for two years, they tasted uh, of ammonia and they were off and they they were just harsh, not good. But starting in 2019, something changed. In 2019, any box of cigars you bought, any Cuban box of cigars that you bought. You could immediately smoke. And it's not like they suddenly had, you know, tobacco that has been aging. Because if they did, they would have had it all along. It's not how it works. Not how any of this works. But in 2019, suddenly you could start smoking Cuban cigars immediately right out of the box. And, and, and it has continued 
to to through to today. Are they using other tobacco as far as you know in their blends in their in their factories to uh, help with number one kind of spreading it out right we've already said that they have a hard time keeping up with demand they don't have enough tobacco as it is um so you know putting in a little little dominican or a little costa rican or a little whatever uh inside of there uh is gonna is gonna help what they have go further and number two it, it helps with the overall um Oh, well, you have to let Cubans rest. Oh, no, now you don't. Now you don't kind of deal. Nick, true, false, no comment. What do you got? Well, no official comment. Um, I can tell you this, that Habanos will never admit to using non-Cuban cigar uh, tobacco in their premium cigars. It would just take the, the mystique of Cuban tobacco out of it. Um, I know certain facts that are true. I know people that sell the Cuban government non-Cuban tobacco. Now, when I've made these statements and asked people at Habanos and other areas, they would say, oh, yes, well, we don't use those in our premium cigars. We have that for other things. Oh, okay. Um, so they'll say that. Um, for what, their cigarettes? <laughs> yeah, their cigarettes and things like that. Um I know that they're actively trading with many different people. So they are buying non-Cuban tobacco that I know for a fact. That's all I know for a fact. You can speculate the rest of it. My guess is absolutely. They use non-Cuban in certain stuff. What, who knows, but they are hundred percent and it probably is better for it. No, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that last statement. And so uh, if Habanos SA ever listens to this, I'm okay with it. They're they're listening. They they are listening. There's no question. I'm okay with it. And I'll tell you why I'm okay with it. Because I think it makes it better. Look, you're not, I'm I'm sure you're not using a blend that is heavily something other than, than, than Cuban tobacco. Maybe you are. I don't know, but I, I, I don't think so. And so if you need to, to do, look, I've always said that if if the embargo ended tomorrow, right, that Cuban cigars would change forever and probably for the better because you would have companies come in and help streamline processes and modernize things. And then you would also have companies buying Cuban tobacco to use in their blends to come up with new blends that are a hybrid that are going to be better, right? I, I, I just think that I think Cuban tobacco is probably is, is probably the superior tobacco uh, than everything else. That's not that doesn't mean everything else is, is bad. I think I love Nicaraguan tobacco. It, it, it's just different. I love Dominican tobacco. It's just different. I love Peruvian tobacco when it's used right. It's just different. So, I, look, I don't have a problem with it. Habano says, hey, you should just come out and be like, look, these are the blends that we use other tobacco in it. Fucking deal with it. But uh, our Trinidad and our Cohibas that we that we like, we don't like this. These are full Cubans because we're these are a premium, the ultra premium, super ultra premium, ultra, ultra, super premium, like whatever you want to call it. I, I'm OK with it, but I, I honestly think it's just time to, to be honest with folks and be like, hey, this is what we're doing. And it's it's honestly better than it was 
It's, you know, I, I don't think you would see, I don't think you would see people revolt because this, these are things that get talked about in lounges around the world. You know, two, two guys every day, every day, two guys sitting around like you and I right now and going, Hey, do you think they use different tobacco? Oh yeah, for sure. I think they do. Oh yeah. No, they've got to, right. Cause it just doesn't make sense. How are they able to keep up with demand? Well, they're not. This is why they use other tobacco. I think it's okay. You know, but I, I get it. There's a, the mystique, like you said, but for the U, the U.S., I think Habanos SA has to understand that not only is it people really love Cuban cigars, but I think it's also the forbidden fruit factor. Like we can't have it, so we really want it. Uh, uh, but for other people around the world, it's just it's hard to get, and they want it, and it's still going to be hard to get even if you come out and say, yeah, there's different kinds of tobaccos in it. So Habanos SA, like, look, Take my advice. Don't take my advice. It doesn't matter to me. You're probably listening to this going, fucking gringo's a fucking asshole. And you're probably right. And on that terrible disappointment, we're going we're gonna to wrap up this series. Uh, I, I want to say thank you so much to Nick Sears, who's dealt with uh, uh, my shenanigans uh, all year long. And now you're going to have to deal with them all next year and the year after that, the year after that, the year after that. Uh, but I'm very happy uh, that you decided to uh, say yes and come on and do this Cuban sub series, we've learned a lot about the history of Cuba, the history of Cuban cigars, where they're at, where they've been and where they're going. Nick Cirrus, I thank you so much. It's been my pleasure, James. It was a great year. And uh, if some people got something out of this, uh, all the better and why, why I do it. No, I, if you didn't get anything out of this, uh, you weren't paying attention. So um, Nick is a wealth of knowledge, like I said, when it comes to cigars in general, um, but also uh, Cuban cigars. And and so we were very uh, blessed to have him on this year. And now we're excited for the future with him here at Simply Stogies. I want to remind you to once again, go to simplystogies.com to get the latest uh, reviews um, there and, and join the LE Club if you'd like and order some coffee if you'd like. Uh, otherwise, don't. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Join me next time where I'm not quite sure what I'll be talking about, but I promise it'll be Simply Stogies. Stay smoky, friends. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. Visit simplystogies.com for the latest articles and reviews. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for the latest in video content. And please rate and review Simply Stogies on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can follow James on his cigar journey on Instagram at Simply Stogies Podcast, all one word, and on Twitter at the Twitter handle at Simply Stogies. If you have a question or suggestion for James or would like to be on the show, please send an email to info at simplystogies.com. 